Welcome to Thrivers, nonprofit leadership for the next normal. I am your host, Tucker Wanamaker, the CEO of Thrive Impact. Our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout. Burnout is the enemy of creating positive change, and we want to connect you with impactful, mission-driven leaders and ideas so that you can learn to thrive in today's nonprofit landscape. I'm joined uh, today, as usual, by my co-host, Sarah Fanslau, our Chief of Impact at Thrive Impact. Sarah, always a delight to be with you. So excited for this conversation. Well, and we're kicking off a series I think that's really close and near and dear to our own hearts, which is called Capacity Building 2.0, and really exploring what is this next normal of supporting nonprofit leaders? What does this really mean to have capacity building? Uh, and it's a series of what we're learning through our journey with the Pikes Peak Community Foundation, their Resiliency Through Innovation Fund, and our Thrivers Collaborative Learning Community and Leadership Development Program. And so today we're going to give you a 360 degree view of the process that we're in, really what we're learning, what we're going through, uh, and from multiple different angles here. This has been a collaborative effort. I hope so, because collaboration was in the sort of in the title there. Um, and so today uh, I'm excited to introduce some of our guests here today. We have one voice, a very important voice uh, from the Community Foundation side, from the Pikes Peak Community Foundation. We have Mina Liebert. She is the director of Community Impact at the Pikes Peak Community Foundation. Mina, it is so great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm excited to share our work. Well, and I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. You know, I love on your website, you have this phrase, which is we're putting community or community is in our middle name. And like you're putting community back into the community foundation and not not that it hasn't been there, but like into like this is really core to the work that we do at the community foundation. And you've been doing that through really cool innovations, like building a space to bring the funding community and nonprofit leaders together through something called the philanthropy collective. Is that right? That's what it's called. Yes. Yeah. We we've just. um been there almost a year and it's it's exciting it's a space for our funding community and our non-profit nonprofit partners to be able to come together and and identify opportunities to collaborate funding wise and otherwise I love mm -hmm. it that's great Mina we also have a voice uh, from the nonprofit leader side and Kirk Woundy I am so excited to have you you're the director of strategy and operations in at NAMI in Colorado Springs, which NAMI, for those of you who don't know, is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Kirk, it is uh, such a joy to have you on this podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tucker. I'm happy to be here. And I know you've been in the trenches, really deeply in the trenches of responding to the deeper mental health needs, especially in this post-COVID world. And how do you make mental health less stigmatized, more accessible to all, especially in the Colorado Springs region? So thank you for your work and really great to have your your wisdom and your voice here on this podcast. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's great to have you. And also from the building of this program side, the Thrivers side of uh, from community and workshop building side, we have Rob Stennett. Uh, he is the founder of Story Eyes, as well as uh, we also have, of course, as my as I mentioned, my co-host Sarah Fanslau. Rob, I know that you have been a uh, you are a master storyteller, first of all, and I so appreciate that you even helped us launch this podcast back in the day and figuring out how do the heck do we put all this together? Uh, Rob, I love the work that you do, um, and you have such a storied career. Not, I guess maybe that was a pun intended. Uh, storied career around telling stories and and videos and productions for National Geographic. You and I have uh, and our our team have done a documentary before on early childhood education in D.C. That was such a fun project. Rob, I'm so grateful to have you here uh, as a part of this part of the podcast. 
I had to double check that I was in the right place because there's so many amazing uh, thought leaders on this episode. I was like, am I am I really supposed to be here? This is like <laughs> this is like the who's who. And so if you're listening right now, buckle up. You're in for a treat. Oh, that's great. Well, uh, let's kick this off. Uh, Mina, I want to go to you first and and talk about what, this phrase that we use. It gets tossed around a lot in the nonprofit world, capacity building. And yeah, yeah. and I'm I'm really kind of curious from your perspective, what do you even think is the next normal of capacity building uh, from your perspective as as this work that you've been doing as a part of the community foundation? Like let's maybe we can define this a little bit and help people understand what do we even mean by this? Uh, love to your your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I think interpretation wise, capacity is really how we're we're helping organizations to be at their best. And if we're thinking about what that means, it's it's interpretive. It means so many different things to so many different people, so many different organizations and what their needs are. So the word capacity from the Pikes Peak Community Foundation and through the work that we are doing through resiliency, through innovation, it's really about meeting organizations where they're at, identifying and trying to understand what common themes we have heard. We we started with this process of assessing and, and providing some more uh, report type information, you know, kind of a, a point in time response. And we saw that there were some themes that came about. And the themes related to what that means in capacity is, is how we build strong leaders. You know, morale over the last two plus years has been very much an up and down space. And and how do we continue to motivate the people, the teams that are part of our organization so that they do their best work, they come, they come at their work with their best selves, that with their whole selves. So identifying capacity could be along the lines of, you know, we need board member support, and we need to figure out how to re-engage our boards. It could be, we need just, you know, some maybe technological needs uh, in order to to balance this whole remote working hybrid space. It could be uh, that you're, you're just, you know, you're trying to figure out your personnel, right? You, you had to make some shifts and changes and how do we maximize the needs of what our organization needs at this point in time in order to be the most impactful for the community that we're serving. So capacity um, has has really been an evolving yeah. uh, space, evolving word. And at the Community Foundation, we've really tried to listen to our nonprofit partners and figure out how we can best support them. And it's not a cookie cutter. Everybody fits in the same box or in the same space. Yeah. So. Well, and and you, uh, your your work at the Community Foundation, what uh, Pikes Peak Community Foundation has done is you, again, similar the the philanthropy collective. You brought together a collective of funders uh, through a fund called the Resiliency Through Innovation Fund, and I know that you had started that at the beginning of COVID. Of like, we we need to be able to figure out how do we help build the capacity of the nonprofits and meet them where they're at. Like that was that seemed to be like exactly what you were trying to do. Uh, so this fund has been there for a couple, you know, two and a half years now or so. Um, what have, what's been the overview and evolution of this over the last few years that you've been doing this? Yeah, it's been, um, it's been an interesting, you know, kind of somewhat reactionary, somewhat, uh, proactively responding a, a number of different approaches that we've tried to take. And it all started, you know, when, when our 
March 20 shutdown of the world essentially occurred, yeah. um, our, our funding philanthropic community had to figure out how to quickly respond to the needs of our nonprofit sector, especially those that were in direct service. So we were able to build out a very quick process to be able to get nonprofit partners to apply for direct service dollars and get those dollars into organizations on the ground quickly. So, you know, we responded within less than a week um, after our initial shutdown on that Friday in March. Wow. But what happened is we saw that we were not able to address a lot of the other needs. You know, we're, we're trying to figure out what are organizations, where are organizations at? If they're serving the public, what are they going to need? Are they going to need personal protective equipment? Are they going to need, again, technological needs because they are not working they're working remotely. They're working, you know, off-site, off, you know, not within their building. So, how are we accommodating and figuring out how to manage that? So, over time, this resiliency through innovation initiative was what was evolving as a result of identifying different types of needs. Not only how we're serving the communities that are our target populations, but how we're actually helping our organizations be sustainable for the long term. And we saw this as a a trajectory of how we're getting to really this point in time now. At the point, we didn't see a lot of the funding world coming together from a federal perspective. So things like um, the the loan processes for IDLE or the PPP, Paycheck Protection Programs, they weren't launching until later that year. So we were trying to figure out how we could assess and hypothesize, taking a hypothesis of where organizations are going to be. They had to shut down fundraisers. They had to shut down, you know, in-person so events, things. things that yes. might be their, their, their needs to be able to address their revenue and generation and everything. So resiliency was really just that first step into figuring out where organizations are at. And from there, we then took this opportunity to say, how can we then provide very hands-on technical assistance, for lack of better terminology, for sure. our organizations to be able to get them to a place where they feel like they can be more sustainable, that they feel supported beyond just their programmatic needs. I think programs are what people see on the outside, but the infrastructure and that capacity that happens within organizations, that's what's really critical for the day-to-day -day operations to continue mm -hmm. to occur. And if that's cracking at the seams, if your foundation essentially is cracking at the seams, then there's no way that you can do this long-term without negative or you know long-term um, ramifications. So that was a lot of the, the evolution. So trying to be somewhat you know responsive and reactive, but then also thinking about that long-term, how do we keep our organizations that are in the business of doing whatever it is they're doing to continue to do that, if that makes sense, but also giving the space to evolve and do or narrow do the focus that makes sense for their organization and also see where there's partnerships and collaboration opportunities. Cause that was another element of resiliency. Collaboration is one of those things that we always encourage and say that is, is really necessary, but mm. it is so, so difficult without <laughs> all these other factors like mission creep or like egos that come. <laughs> so that, that's all. Well, and that's where, you know, um, 
before I go over to you, Kirk, I want to explore that with you in terms of your experience so far in this. But Mina, uh, you know, in the evolution of over the last couple of years of the Resiliency Through Innovation Fund, you ultimately made a, a little bit of a pivot, perhaps, into uh, working with us and building a collaborative learning community. And I'm just curious, why was that important to you? Why did you choose and why did the Community Foundation choose uh, to go down this path of building a collaborative learning community instead of uh, maybe I could say it called a, a traditional consultant based approach. Uh, why was yeah. that the case for you and why was this important? Yeah, I think we we tried that in kind of the 1.0 version of resiliency. We tried to do some very hands on um tailored technical assistance, whatever the organization needs. And that's still something that's really important and relevant. But as we were digging into the data, Sarah um, graciously helping me do that and hearing themes, we saw that things like leadership development and um, revenue generation, you know, if you go into that fundraising space, those were things that were consistently over and over those same areas of need from a capacity building standpoint. So thinking about it from a perspective of as a funder and a co-funding model, bringing together maybe it's individual funders, smaller family foundations, in addition to our private foundations and our community foundations, we were trying to figure out how we could best leverage our philanthropic dollars to be able to support as many organizations as possible. So building out this kind of 2.0 version with uh, Thrive Impact, it's been more of how we build a network of partners, individuals, organizations mm. that are participating in this through a, basically a peer learning model with the intention to say that if we were to remove the funding element, if we were to remove then the Thrive Impact element, there's still a network of peers that know each other, feel comfortable with one another, yeah. and can connect with one another even after we are stepping away from this particular resiliency through innovation effort. So that peer learning element has been so critical for growth and for just connection that are maybe not sector-based because a lot of our organizations, they may have heard of one another, they have maybe seen each other's organizations, but they've never actually connected on a human level. So this has built that opportunity in addition to then also um, being able to engage other individuals that are in the organization, but not necessarily the leader, right? The, yeah. the CEO or the executive director, but still professional development needs to span across the entire organization. And sometimes financially, that's not feasible for a small, you know, small to mid-sized organization. So this is another tool or resource that helps actually build a lot of that connection and then helps those that are in more of the maybe day-to-day -day operations role versus the leadership roles, the ability to still engage and learn and grow. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love this piece around building social capital as a, if no, if the rest of us went away, you know, the maintenance of relationships that could be supported um, regardless, I think is really important. And to your point around, you know, folks may be in the same sector in the same place and not know each other. We, we asked that question directly of the participants in our pre-assessment and we found just that, right? The level of knowledge around the organizations was high, but the no level of knowledge around the individuals was low. And so, you know, really love this piece of being able to say, you may know of NAMI, but did you know Kirk? Did you know 
Lena Lori, mm-hmm. did you know patience at Food to Power and really creating the opportunities for those one-to-one and individual connections to occur. Um, yeah. And it builds maybe those non-traditional collaborations, right? Yes. Like how can a yes. food justice organization actually support, you know, how to connect with mental health resources? Right. It's it's maybe not a a for a first thought, but it could be, you know, that second or secondary tertiary yes. that still is just as critical. Mm. And I'm also appreciating too, Mina, you're sharing about, uh, you know, the going beyond just the heads of the organization while EDs, of course, need support and leadership development. I remember the first time, and I think we were talking with Scott over at the Colorado Springs Conservatory. And when we talked to him about this is open to your whole staff, like the whole staff can get some, get leadership development and skills training. Uh, I mean, it was like the light went on. He was like, oh yes, yes, please. You know, Um, and it seemed like there was a clear need there around going beyond just the ED. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day from, again, just a, a, funder perspective, we're creating some efficiencies that help to still bring the same resources to more individuals, to more organizations, and and potentially create a model that helps to think about capacity building just differently, right? Like we we think about how we're how we're sustaining our organizations, but are we investing in the people that actually keep the organizations running? Yeah. Well, um, I love this, but Kirk, I want to come to you because you're actually in it. And we can have all these fun hypotheses and we definitely have data and we we're doing a lot of listening, but you're a nonprofit leader. Uh, you're the director of strategy and operations at, at NAMI in Colorado Springs. And I kind of want to hear just directly from you, like what, why was this important for you in the first place and for NAMI to be a part of this type of program? Uh, but then I want to dig in a little bit of like, what has been your lived experience around, uh, you know, the impact into story energizers an example, but uh, and some of the things that you've uh, learned and grown in so far. But why was this important for you, Kirk, in the first place, as you reflect back uh, ahead of time before you, we even started this? Um, why was this something that you were all like, yeah, we got to do this. This is important. Well, I think for us, you know, this whole RTI journey, you know, as, as Mina mentioned, started kind of in the throes of, you know, the first real wave of COVID. And, um, you know, we like everybody else, like we were just kind of freaked out, um, you know, just yeah. like, what what does this mean? You know, what does it mean programmatically? What does it mean from a fundraising standpoint? What does it mean for what our organization is going to look like or focus on, you know, for the next year, two years, five years? Um, so the the opportunity to kind of connect with an organization, you know, like Pikes Peak Community Foundation, which said, hey, you know, kind of come with us. Let's solve this stuff together. Let's work on this together. Let's find out, you know, more about what you might need together was just really reassuring, I think. Um, and then, you know, as the pandemic kind of went on and we started to to get a sense of um, the sense that we would be eventually okay, you know, that we were going to um, make it through with the help of some of what Mina mentioned, you know, those PPP funds, some ARPA funding, um, you know, it was like, okay, maybe what we can do now is to um, figure out what we should do with these resources, like how to position ourselves in a way that um, we're able to meet some mental health needs that we didn't necessarily um, expect to to be tackling, um, you know, so, so soon or in this way. Um, and so we have actually been in the really fortunate position 
to add some positions and um, and make some hires and you know think about kind of a 2.0 or 3.0, 5.0, you know, for a, our 40 year old organization. Um, see what what Nami, you know, could and should be um, for the next few years. And um, and for us, I think it's been um, wanting to be able to show up for the people that as leaders to be able to show up for the people we're working with, the people we've brought on, the people who've, you know, kind of trusted in us to have a, a good and rewarding work opportunity and to make a difference in the community. Um, so that I think was the last piece for us and with this most recent uh, RTI initiative um, was really just kind of making sure that we felt like we could, you know, fill our cup so that we could be there for our employees and then mm. also for, uh, for the community. It sounds like I love the, what you just said there at the end too. Of um, we like to say, create impact from the inside out. How do we, uh, how do we fill our cup? And it sounds like why this um, this newest edition of the RTI program, which is our Thriver program at Thrive Impact, that was a piece of how do we? It sounds like that was a piece of we need to fill our own cup, really grow individually within ourselves, uh, within our team. Uh, that that was the piece that sounded uh, like the most compelling component of this. Yeah, and it's been cool because um, you know, as was mentioned earlier, we have been able to bring people in from other parts of the organization, right? So we added someone as a communications coordinator this summer to have her be able to come alongside me and have the two of us go through a um, story to impact. Uh, initiative, you know, with with Thrive Impact has been great. It's been something we've been able to, you know, kind of um, tackle together and talk about, you know, outside of the sessions that we've had with everybody else. Mm. Um, and and that's been, I think, a really invaluable opportunity, especially because, you know, things get really busy, right? You don't often take that kind of time to think big picture within your organization. Um, you know, I know for us, we had a, a big fundraising walk event in October and then, you know, that was over and we looked up and it was end of year fundraising season. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's like, okay, you know, we've got to put together this campaign and send out a postcard and work on the mailer and this and that. And so, you know, to have time um, that's dedicated to sort of thinking more holistically about, you know, what we want to do and who we want to be um, and to do it together has been a real gift. Well, and I want to dig into that. So um, just for the sake of the listeners, as a part of this series, this the the big piece that has finished so far in this uh, program has been a three-part workshop process called the Impact into Story Energizer. And, and I'm going to have Rob and Sarah share a little bit because they were the real key factors involved in putting together that workshop series. But Kirk, to what you were just sharing, um, what was it that you loved about that uh, that part of this Thriver process, you already started talking about that with you and your communications uh, person. As you reflect back to that workshop series from a skills perspective, from a community building perspective, um, what were some of the things that you loved and you really took away from that? And also, what, if anything, what was challenging? What uh, was a little different than you were used to? Or maybe what's something that surprised you about it? Well, I think the probably the most challenging piece, honestly, um, was kind of being in there with peers, people that, you know, I really think extremely highly of um, in in the local nonprofit community and kind of being vulnerable with them, right? Um, you know, kind of uh, putting 
being put on the spot and saying, okay, come up with a, a few ideas for what you might do, um, you know, for a, a, a storytelling initiative or approach um, in just a few minutes and feeling like, okay, I know these people are going to come up with great ideas. You know, can I hang basically? Yeah. Um, but that was also one of the best parts of it was um, being in that kind of space, that dedicated space um, with these people who, yeah, we, we kind of operate in the same circles, but we don't often get a chance to really like talk with and learn from on a deep level. And then, you know, as far as like what, what we really took from it, um, you know, having Rob there to sort of talk through the stakes intervention transformation model. Um, Nailed it. That was great. Yeah. I'm so and, proud. And... I'm so proud you got that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it it just like to see someone break it down that way. These are things that like you kind of um, you kind of understand, at least, you know, coming from a journalism background, um, you know, that that's not an arc that I'm unfamiliar with. But having it be emphasized and also broken down in a really understandable way to where you can sort of identify the, the specific components um, and say, okay, here's what that would look like for us. And having the opportunity within those sessions to, to actually try it out, you know, it was, it was really just really helpful. Um, it was, I think, kind of refreshing for us to um, have other folks kind of look at what we do and, and say, you know, here's where I think, you know, the, the impact um, might be, or here, here's what I think of your uh, potential for talking about transformation. We've taken that into our end of year campaign that we're kind of in the throes of right now. I mean, it's it's a lens through which I'm looking at most everything that we put out there and, and Kelly, our communications coordinator, too. So the timing was great. Um, the community was great. And the the experience overall was was just kind of what we needed, I think, at at this time of year. I love Kirk. I got to participate in a few of our breakout spaces or what we call wisdom circles um, with your new staff member on communication. And she, one of the things for the listener that we had folks do as part of this three-part series is first folks put together a logic model, right? To say how did all the pieces fit together and then translated that into story and created actual decks, right? And so I was in the, the wisdom circle with your staff member and at first she was like, I don't, I don't, I'm so new. I don't think I know what the story is. And then she brought up her deck and I was like, well, you just nailed it. Right. And, you know, being able to see her walk in feeling a little like, I don't know if I know what I'm doing. And then with the peer and me in that room, she, you know, she really shared and upgraded her story and was able to provide some fantastic advice to another community member who is feeling similarly like, I don't know if I've got this. And so one of the things I feel like I saw, at least in that staff member, was some increasing confidence and self-efficacy around, hey, you know what? I can do this. Maybe I do know more than I think. Maybe, you know, maybe I've got something to say here. And so I wanted to ask, did you did you see that um, as well from, from your side, increasing confidence or self-efficacy around kind of the ability to tell the story and understand what it is? For sure. Yeah. I think, you know, our organization is pretty small. Um, and so, you know, we have good conversations where people are encouraged to sort of share their thoughts, you know, even if it's sort of outside of of their bailiwick, so to speak. But but sometimes, you know, it can feel like, okay, so I'm, I'm you know, Kelly and I are kind of the communications team. Um, and then Lori, our executive director, has a lot of experience in marketing. So, you know, the, the three of us 
for the most part can feel pretty competent with these things, but it's, there are some times when you can't help but think like, are we just kind of an echo chamber, you know, right. yeah. saying like, yeah, of course, that's a great idea. You come up with great right. ideas all the time. Let's go with it. Yeah. Um, so to have outside validation and again, within a community that is, that is as sort of accomplished and intelligent as the one that, um, that Mina and her team put together um, and that you guys kind of, you know, brought around the table. It, it, again, it just doesn't happen very often. And I do think that it, it can sort of provide a real reassurance that, okay, we really do know what we're doing. Um, even if sometimes, you know, we, um, we feel like, you know, maybe we didn't sort of execute perfectly or we should have thought of X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, yeah. we're, we're, we're where we should be. Yeah. yeah, but you know what, though, just, you know, from the other side of things and and seeing what's happening, especially like NAMI is a great example of of an organization that's embracing and taking the opportunities that are shared and actually, you know, bringing your team and, and therefore the organization into a different space. You know, you're thinking about things differently. You're using these tools and resources that we're trying to provide and, and maximizing that in order to engage and continue to keep your board excited to mm-hmm. expand the programs that you have and to really think thoughtfully. I mean, even your role, Kirk, um, has evolved over the last two years because you've identified the things that you really, really need in order to be successful as an organization. And also then what that looks like for succession planning long-term. Sure, yeah, we, we've gotten a lot out of the, you know, the entire, you know, RTI process. And and certainly our board um, has been kind of a, a part of that as well. And I think for them, you know, knowing that we're, um, we're in constant communication with kind of thought leaders, you know, in this space, in the nonprofit space is, is also reassuring because a lot of these folks, you know, they're coming to a mental health organization from somewhere totally different, you know, from business or finance or, you know, even even a large healthcare organization, uh, in some ways, you know, is really different from a grassroots nonprofit like NAMI that works, you know, in, in mental health. So, um, I think it's it's also been you know really good for them to understand that we've got sort of this this community of again really intelligent, driven, motivated people, you know, kind of helping to to inspire and guide us. Kirk, your answer is so encouraging because. There are two primary problems that I see with nonprofit storytelling over and over again. One is it's a small team that does it. You know, it's like one person. It's like, hey, you're the story guy. Go do it all versus like different people sharing it and carrying it together. Like the, the strongest stories have more voices coming in, more people thinking about it. And so I love that you come to this workshop, not just with you, but with someone else. And I think anyone who's listening, I would encourage you, like, don't don't outsource story to one person, like own it together, carry it together. That's really powerful. And then two, the thing that happens is that echo chamber factor where it's like, okay, one or two people and you kind of say the same thing and you slap a new font on and you, you know, put a new background color on it. And you're like, okay, we've got a new compelling story. And it's like, ah, that's not it. Like, let's break it down and let's tell it. And yeah, it's intimidating to share it with a group of people who are like, okay, these people don't know me. They don't know if I'm any good. But wow, what a gift. It's better to have that gift with a group of small people than roll out a whole campaign that flops, that didn't work, that didn't hit. And so to me, I, I'm like, I'd much rather, you know, a bad October than a bad December, you know. And so uh, that's part of what this is. And that's part of what I love about the Thrive model is this idea of, um, OK, well, let's iterate on this and let's go and sharpen it. I love that. Thank you, Rob. Yeah. 
Well, let's uh, let's unpack this a little bit. We uh, just for sake of time, Sarah, real quick, high level, because this is a series. There's so much to get into around capacity building 2.0. Yeah. But at at a, at a real high level, when we're talking about building a collaborative learning community uh, in, in a leadership development type program, what are we really talking about here? What are some of the factors underneath the hood, and why do they matter for the next normal of capacity building? Yeah, I'm just going to hit one piece here, which is that really at the base of our work and particularly this work around capacity building is experiential learning models, right? This was really, this is Kolb, uh, who is a, a social scientist and education pioneer, really is at the base of kind of the experiential learning model. Um, and that model has kind of four core components that we see come to life in our work. It includes concrete experiences, reflective observation, abstract conceptualization, and active experimentation. And we put all of those things into our work as part of the Impact Story Energizer and the other pieces um, that are part of Thrivers, because what the data shows around the experiential learning model is that it does two things. One, it increases participant satisfaction, and two, it increases learning gains. And so as we think about the why of this approach, right, you see a lot of education going here. The sit and get is out, y'all. It's dead, right? Seriously. If you're still sitting and getting change it up. Um, and so we are leveraging the techniques that are at the forefront of how people are reimagining education in general. Um, and they're doing it because ultimately our goal is to support better learning and improve satisfaction. And that is really at the heart of the experiential learning model. Mm. Ooh, I can't wait to unpack that even more in the next episode on this series, Sarah. Thank you for bringing that in. And uh, Rob, to you, you know, you've been teaching storytelling for so long. You've worked with us uh, in our work as well. Um, how have you seen this content come alive in a different way through this experiential learning type of model? I think what I love is um, with nonprofits, so many of them don't realize that they have such a powerful gift in story. I've done, you know, I've done work with shoe companies. I've done work with coffee companies. I've done work with soda companies. And they're like, okay, we've got a powerful story about soda. And I'm like, you're a nonprofit who's on the front lines of changing humanity, of dealing with mental health, of dealing with the marginalized. And you know, like, you have real stories. And so Nike and Pepsi come out and feel like they have the great stories. And I'm like, stop it. They don't. You nonprofit leaders are on the front lines with great stories. And when I see that click and people like, for whatever reason, I, I've seen story be intimidating. But when it goes from intimidating to empowering, that's my favorite thing where it's like, oh, we actually do have something amazing happening and we have something amazing to say. I love that, Rob. And it's true. There's so much there. There's so much gold and it's sometimes still in the mine, right? We need to actually yeah. like mine it out. And, you know, what, what have you noticed in, you know, you and Sarah collaborated a lot on this particular workshop series. What did you notice how this content was able to really get extracted from the mine uh, and and also what was what was challenging about putting together a workshop process like this versus ones you've done before? Well, I think Sarah and I would encourage you to go listen to other podcasts that she's done about impact. Um, your story starts with your impact of really making a difference, and so that was a little different even the ones that I've been in part of in the past. Is like what is the difference that you're trying to make? What's your logic model? How are you trying to do it? And so basic in that, you're not just telling stories of nice, happy things. You're like, no, you're telling a story of significant change. And so you have to understand 
what that change is that you're making, how you make it, how you quantify it. And then story is just a way that you emotionally make it make sense. And so to me, that's um, what was powerful about it. Mm, like grounding it in the impact. We Yeah, we like to say a, a dear mentor of mine, Bill Milliken, who's the founder of Communities and Schools, used to say, we've got to move from charity into change. And how many of us are telling program stories and not impact stories, as an example? Um, yeah. And it sounds like having that impact first into story like really was a, a, a shift and a really positive shift around how to create this uh, this type of impact for the workshop series. Yeah, so many people at the end of the year, it's like, oh, we need stories. Where's our stories? Where's our stories? Which is the wrong question. The question is like, where's our impact? What impact are we making? And then how do we tell a story about that? Mm. Um, and I think the challenge is just like, this stuff is simple and it's complicated. And so just helping people wade through that complexity and again, in a finite amount of time, just, okay, we're going to teach you about it. And, you know, Kirk said, it. all right, we're going to teach you about it. Now go do it. And it's like, whoa, wait, you want me to actually create something? Like I just met these people in a Zoom room a half hour ago and now I'm having to like build something up and share it. And so that feels intimidating sometimes that feels challenging. And I like as a facilitator, you can see the looks on people's faces where they're like, wait, you want me to do what? And it's like, okay, take a deep breath. You can do this. And then on the other side of the challenge, to me, that's where the gold is. When people go and step out and create something, it's, and then they're like, oh, wow, there is something here. That's what I love. Mm. I have to share two of my favorite moments that go a little bit to Rob, but Rob, what you're talking about. One is, you know, when we think about the logic model, the the point is what what is both the short term or the intermediate change, and then what's the long term change, right? What happens in the community as a result of this work in the in the long game, and so right, that's the transformation. But a lot of times we tell stories about our, our program instead of, to your point, the people who are transformed by them and what is made possible for them. So one of the things, Rob, I love that you did is, you know, you took that stakes intervention transformation framework and may ask people to do it about one person that had gone through their program. And another participant said, you know, reminding us that we're not the hero, the organization is not the hero of the story was transformational. And I love that because it gets back to the impact. The impact is not on the organization, right? It's on the individuals that the organization is able to transform. And then the second moment I loved was, I and I, you know, Kirk, you were up there as part of this, you all went into rapid breakout rooms, you shared that individual story, and then you came out and shared somebody else's story. And I think you were sharing, I think you shared, maybe it was Christie's or Sarah from Kono, I forget which one, but the sharing of somebody else's story, I thought was so powerful because it was that it it was made possible by somebody being able to condense their story into literally 30 seconds or less, share it with somebody and then have that person share it in a compelling manner and um, be able to see and learn from the transformation of somebody else's story is what I really saw happen as mm. a result. Well, and as nonprofit leaders, that's the most powerful thing we can do is equip other people to share our story. Yes. It's not just stuff. It's not just our staffs, but the people who are impacted are like, oh, I can tell you a story. Here's what it is. Right. And I can walk away and say, I can tell the story of of Nami or Christy or, or Kono in one sentence after that literal 20 minutes in that workshop, right? Through the, the eyes of one person. Yeah. Yeah. And when it sounds good, when your story sounds good coming out of somebody else's mouth, and you're like, okay, we do have something here. <laughs> totally. Pure learning totally. model right there, right? That's awesome. 
All right. Well, hey, I want to wrap up this episode. Uh, again, we have so many things that we could get into, but um, we talked about, we, we went a little high level around capacity building. We kind of went down deeper uh, altitude wise down into the, into the workshop part of the process that we've been doing. We have a lot of other components, of course, of this whole uh, Thriver model uh, that we're going to unpack uh, with, with Mina and, and what we've been learning. Uh, but from your perspective, uh, I want to end with this. What are what are maybe one to two practical steps you would give uh, or advice maybe that you've already learned by going through this whole process? So, Mina, if you're talking to other community foundation leaders, for example, what would you tell them? Kirk, other nonprofit uh, leaders like yourself, what would you tell them uh, An advice you would give them? Maybe that would be advice you would have given yourself as you, when you started this process. And Rob and Sarah, same for you. Uh, that you would give to nonprofit and community foundation leaders wanting to invest in this type of an approach? I'll say that it's it's really important to think about the how nonprofits are going to come together. And, you know, we we have these different opportunities now. I know virtual is not always ideal, but it's a it's a way in which we can still connect and it makes it a lot easier. It reduces kind of the burden of travel time, it reduces so that from a budgetary perspective, it makes it more accessible. And I think that's the biggest thing is if you're creating opportunities for accessible learning and in, in a peer environment, you're actually going to be able to engage more people. I know it's difficult to also say at the same time, no, I'm just not going to turn it on today, right? We get that. We get that. But it's, it's an opportunity to say, if you are committed to this work, if you are committed to building a stronger organization, increasing the morale of your team, or, you know, trying to learn something new, why not step into a space like this? And it, from an efficiency standpoint, going back to that, it makes the investment financially much more appealing because you're reaching so many more audiences, whether it be Again, staff, people, and or organizations, and that just builds a stronger peer learning network overall. That's great. Thank you, Mina. Uh, who else? Kirk, you want to go? Yeah, I I think what I would say is, um, you know, the the knee jerk reaction that um, that a lot of folks are probably going to have upon getting an opportunity like this is like, yeah, it's great, but I don't know if I can fit it in, right? And, um, and I, you know, it's, it's something that even once you sort of take the plunge it's, and say, okay, we're going to do it, you know, you can still feel in a given day, like, oh man, I just, I wish I had these two hours back. You know, I, I wish I wasn't, you know, in this meeting this morning, but it's so important to spend that kind of time. You know, I think, the, this whole series that we've been talking about, the 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 workshop of the Energizer that we we did with you guys and with Rob, you know, took six hours. Well, you know, we've probably spent collectively a good twenty hours so far putting together our end of year fundraising campaign, and the six hours that we spent with you has influenced, I think, positively everything we've done within those twenty hours, and it should also positively influence. The return on that investment of time, and, you know, when we look at the the uh, donations that we're um, able to to attract for this end of year campaign. So, um, I, I guess I would just encourage, as much as it's possible, um, nonprofit leaders to kind of think about the long game and to 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 realize that you know a smaller investment of time now can make a big difference later. Plus, 
it's just always good to be in a space again with really intelligent people. You never know kind of what you're going to come out with. So as difficult as it might seem in the moment, um, trust the process, um, trust the people you're with. And I think good things will follow. Mm, that's great, Kirk. Thanks yeah, I want to piggyback off what Kirk said and say, um, I started doing CrossFit uh, about three months ago. And when I started doing it, every time I would drive to the gym, I'd be like, oh, I don't feel like going. Like, there's so many other things I can do. I know this is going to be hard. This is out of my comfort so zone. And then every time I drive home, I'm like, that was such time well spent. And I think that's what we're talking about, these capacity building exercises. It's things that are like, okay, this is hard. This is out of my comfort zone. I'm not used to it. But then when it's over, you're like, that was so much better than I thought it would be. And I'm stronger and better now. And so I just think I love what Kirk said, because it is worth that investment. It is worth that investment in yourself and in relationships outside your network, you know, and when we're, we're nonprofit and we're people, people, right? Like we care about other human beings and what a thing to be able to come with different people and learn from them. And that's going to grow. That's going to make you feel less stagnant. That's going to make you feel more passionate about what you do. Mm. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, one of the big things I feel like I've, I've learned um, kind of goes back to the beginning when we were doing the pre-research before we even started and, you know, talk to some of the folks about, what they had found useful previously and what they had struggled with. And one of the things I was struck with is that a lot of folks, in part because of Kirk's capacity comment, you know, may get some information uh, and not know what to do with it until they're able to digest it and and like, you know, really think about what it means and what and what to do with it. And so, you know, we try to leverage data and teaching techniques. Um, and support digestion in the room so that people then aren't left with the, you've just given me the information, I don't now know what to do with it. And so I think combining the information and the teaching with the time to uh, figure out what to do with it is really important. And I think we're seeing some of that um, be borne out positively in the work mm. we're doing. I love that. Yeah, an efficiency of learning. Somebody called it sticky. It's sticky. Well, hey, Y'all, thank you so much for just being so engaged in this in this podcast conversation. Um, we're going to have show notes below, some more information about uh, what we're even doing collectively with the Pikes Peak Community Foundation, our Thriver model, the Resiliency Through Innovation Fund, and uh, just what, what we're learning. So hopefully you tune in to more of the episodes around this particular series around Capacity Building 2.0. Uh, Kirk, Mina, Rob, Sarah, thank you for being here today and uh, look forward to the next episode. Have a wonderful day, y'all. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks, Sarah.